0: And Welcome to Pick Six Movies, the podcast where each season we select six movies that are all related to a single theme, and on each episode we explore the people in front of and behind the camera and try to make sense out of how and why each movie was made. And on top of all that, we give you an in-depth review of the entire movie just to see if it's any good. I'm Chad Cooper, and along with one of the smartest and funniest guys I know, Mr. Bo Ransdell, we are continuing this season's theme... Not that one, this one, where we've selected six subjectively bad movies with titles that are regularly confused with another movie of the same name and oftentimes with the same plot. Sort of. This is Episode 5 of Season 8, featuring a remake that nobody was asking for except for one guy who stars in the movie and also produces it. Well, who could that be? Well, it's the always entertaining Nicolas Cage in the 2006 remake of The Wicker Man. Wait, you didn't know that was a remake? Well, today's your lucky day, my friend. You have found yourself at the right podcast at the right time to fill your head with all kinds of useless movie history, and I know just the guy to put that useless history into your head and explain how the original Wicker Man came to be, as well as how this remake, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending upon your point of view, made its way into theaters. So let's get Bowen here to help us understand what all the buzz is about regarding this unbelievable of a movie. Oh, puns. The lowest form of humor. Bo, take it away.
1: While the term folk horror may have been bouncing around before, The closest we have to a point of origin is way back in 2010, when a documentary series appeared on BBC4 entitled A History of Horror. Mark Gaddis, an actor and writer who is also one of the members of the excellent League of Gentlemen, assembled a collection of seminal horror films, most from the British Isles. In this exploration, Gaddis used the term folk horror to describe a specific subgenre of horror film, one whose definition remains somewhat elusive. Piers Haggard, a director, made a film way back in 1971 called Blood on Satan's Claw, and more on that in a minute, but when discussing it with the horror magazine Fangoria in 2004, he referred to his own film as a folk horror movie. But what does that mean exactly? What makes one horror movie folk horror and another plain old non-folk horror? The definition is not an easy one. Much like pornography, it's a I-know-it-when-I-see-it kind of thing. A feeling more than a set of hard-and-fast characteristics. But let's give it a shot. The closest we can get to defining this category of movies is by beginning with the unholy trinity as it's come to be known. Three British films that typify the idea of folk horror. The first is a movie from 1968 called Witchfinder General, directed by Michael Reeves. You may have also seen this movie titled The Conqueror Worm, but I like Witchfinder General much more. In the movie, venerable genre actor Vincent Price plays Matthew Hopkins, a witchfinder in the 17th century during the English Civil War. He roams around the remote parts of England dragging men and women from their homes to torture them in the name of saving the souls of these little villages. When he and his fellow witchfinder, a guy named Stearns, accuse a local priest and his niece of witchcraft, the priest is tortured and the niece, a girl by the name of Sarah, offers herself to the witchfinder if he would just show the priest some mercy. Vincent Price leaves town and his protege ends up assaulting the niece, Sarah, only to incur the wrath of her fiancé, who tracks the Witchfinders down and attacks them. But his vengeance is cut short by the invasion of the English Roundheads, or the army at the time, and he and Sarah go crazy. Roll credits. So, you know, it's not exactly a happy story, but it is a great movie. Next came Blood on Satan's Claw from the aforementioned Piers Haggard. This one came out in 1971, and was set in roughly the same time period as Witchfinder General, only in this nasty little movie a deformed skull with a patch of fur clinging to it is found in a field and the local population falls under its sway growing patches of fur on their own bodies while a local seductress champions old rituals at a ruined church leading to a widespread worshiping of satan in the community sounds like my kind of place the local priest is corrupted and only the judge in town can resist the effects long enough to bring the cult to light and killed the demon that is made, and I'm not making this up, from ripping off the furry bits growing on the worshippers' bodies and making a whole new demon out of those parts. It is one giant rocking guitar solo of a movie, in a very restrained British way, of course. But both of these movies include some recurring themes in folk horror. That is, a sense of the rural and a creeping corruption are hints of paganism, of old religions, and ancient rituals, of the pastoral hiding a greater evil. During the time of the making of these movies, England was in a place where the population was increasingly migrating toward the cities. Not unlike the course of American migration, the urban centers claimed more and more of the overall population, leading to both a weird nostalgia for simpler times when communities were more isolated and familial, And a growing fear that what happened outside the city centers might be malevolent. Out there, these movies implied, something is happening. Something that only happens outside the normal world. And if we get lost out there, we might never come back. Which brings us to the pinnacle of this unholy trilogy, which came in 1973 when Robin Hardy unleashed the classic film The Wicker Man. Inspired by a book called Ritual from 1967, The Wicker Man has been called the Citizen Kane of horror movies, and Total Film Magazine ranked it the sixth greatest British film of all time. Pretty impressive, right? The story involves Sergeant Neil Howey, as portrayed by The Equalizer's Edward Woodward, who travels to a remote island called Summer's Isle to investigate the disappearance of a young girl named Rowan Morrison. The police were tipped off by an anonymous letter, and it's up to Howie to find the girl. Upon arriving, it's clear the Summer's Isle weirdos are worshipping pagan gods, which flies in the face of Howie's powerful Christian faith. There are people fucking in the fields, sucking on toads to cure sore throats, and generally acting like a bunch of hippies. More disconcerting for our intrepid police officer, everyone, including Rowan's mother, seemed to suggest that Rowan never existed at all. The alluring Brit Eklund shows up as a barmaid to seduce Howie, who is far too pious and moral to wallow in the pleasures of the flesh, and Christopher Lee, who I would remind our audience once made a heavy metal Christmas album, to submit his status as the coolest man who ever lived, he shows up as Lord Isle and tells Howie all about how the locals turned to paganism in support of good harvests for the fruit trees. One thing leads to another, and Howie discovers a photograph of Rowan and some books that suggest he might be on the docket for a human sacrifice to counteract the Bad Harvest from the year before. A harvest ritual that will end in human sacrifice. And as the celebration goes into a full swing, Howie disguises himself in a costume like the other Summer's Isle residents, notably that of the Fool, and joins in the celebration. Breaking his disguise when he sees Rowan tied up for the sacrifice. He steals away with her. Only to be cornered by the locals who reveal that Rowan isn't the sacrifice, Howie is. Christopher Lee, with a shredding guitar behind him, at least in my head, tells Howie he fits the four criteria of their sacrifice. He came of his own free will, he has the power of a king, in that he is a representative of the government beyond the island, he's a virgin, thanks to his piousness, and he is undoubtedly a fool. Howie is then placed inside the titular Wicker Man, a giant wooden cage for him, where the locals sing and dance around the Wicker Man as it burns with Howie inside, shrieking Psalm 23, and praying until the fire claims him. It is a stunning film, one in which the very ideas of British morality and piety are challenged by these rural pagans. At a time when the whole world was challenging notions of governmental authority and traditional religion, the Wicker Man was the rejection of all of that set to film. I mean, who were the heroes here? Howie, the uptight and righteously indignant representative of English rule? Or the pagan locals who only wanted some nice fruit trees and screwed this guy for being such a stick in the mud? I mean, he could have just had a roll in the hay with Britt Eklund and this whole thing could have been avoided. It's a layered and wonderful film, maybe bogged down by some overlong folk songs, but it is undoubtedly a movie that lingers as the viewer is forced to consider if rigid values are actually useful in a modern context. The remote nature of Summer's Isle, the paganism, the raw sexuality of the movie, these are the things that have come to define folk horror. A remake of The Wicker Man had been batted around since the 90s, when Universal bought the rights to the library of Canal Plus titles, of which The Wicker Man was one. With the rights secured, Universal looked to Neil Labute to write and direct a new adaptation of the classic film. Labute first rose to prominence on the back of his indie film In the Company of Men, adapted from his own play of the same name. In the movie, which won a ton of indie movie awards, a pair of men lay a bet to win the heart of a deaf woman at the company they work for only to destroy her as an act of vengeance on women as a whole. And they do. It's a really fascinating movie, though it indicated some troubling themes in Lebute's work. It's also notable for being one of Aaron Eckhart's first movies, who had been a college buddy of Labute's. He even cameos in The Wicker Man, which we'll be talking about shortly. After In the Company of Men, Labute adapted another of his plays, The Shape of Things, to film. In the movie, Rachel Weisz plays a woman who makes her lover, played by Paul Rudd, change himself entirely and even reject all of his friends just to be more appealing to her before she eventually discards him. It's here that film detectives, like I know so many of you are, might begin to detect the faint whiff of misogyny. You wouldn't be the only ones. A lot of critics have said that Labute is at best a misogynist, but maybe is more correctly a misanthrope who believes all people are basically shitty. It's just that women take the brunt of the disdain in Labute's work. In 2006, he'd release his version of The Wicker Man, which I remind you was voted the 6th best British film of all time and called the Citizen Kane of horror movies. I mean, Labute's version wasn't called that. The original was. His movie would be widely considered a giant cinematic joke. But rather than quote a bunch of critics, what does the greatest man who ever lived, Christopher Lee, have to say about this? He said, You can make a follow-up to a film, but to remake a movie with such history and success just doesn't make much sense to me. Nicolas Cage showed some regret here, too. In a very Nicolas Cage kind of way. When doing some press for that second Ghost Rider movie, a definite stay tuned for Pick 6 Movies, Cage was asked what roles he'd like to revisit, and he said, I'd like to take the Wicker Man to Japan, except this time he's a ghost. Well, alright. And this version of the Wicker Man tanked, too, making only $38 million back on a $40 million budget. But fear not, Pick 6 devotees, this did not end the trend of folk horror. In fact, it's seen a bit of a revival. The estimable director Ben Wheatley delivered a great folk horror film with Kill List in 2011, where Hitman runs afoul of a mysterious organization, leading to one of the most folk horrory of endings ever committed to film. There's Final Prayer, also called The Borderlands, depending on where you are in the world, from 2013, that is a nice slice of found footage folk horror. And most recently, Hereditary director Ari Aster, unleashed midsummer which is a fantastic piece of folk horror filmmaking reminding the viewer once again that once you get out there in the country past where the cell phones work and the modern ways are left behind out there danger lurks out there you are an other, and not of the tribe out there your beliefs are meaningless and only the ways of your new rural hosts matter But back to our Wicker Man. Not that one. Not the one that's the Citizen Kane of horror movies. This one. The one that has Nicolas Cage in it. But is this version of the Wicker Man really so bad? Do the women on this island have the right idea? And why did we have to wait for a director's cut to get to the goddamn bees? Well, time to call in our resident investigator, Chad Cooper, for a trip to the Pacific Northwest. Ladies and gentlemen drones and queens it's time to take a closer look at 2006's the wicker man Hey there, everybody! Welcome back to Pick Six Movies. I'm one of your hosts, Bo Ranstel. With me, as always, the the lovely, the scintillating Chad Cooper.
0: That's right. I'm your other host.
1: Yeah, and uh, here we are. This is we're we're almost at the end of season eight. We are. Which, by the way, means I I, I was doing the math on this the other day. I'm no mathematician, Chad. No, you're not. <laughs> Thanks for agreeing so quickly. But our fiftieth episode is right around the corner.
0: Oh my god!
1: Yeah yeah that's coming right up, so we'll have to <laughs> we'll have to do something extra special for the the fiftieth
0: <laughs> yes we will
1: but hey before we get to that uh milestone, we've got two more movies left in this season. mm-hmm the road to summerslam begins here Chad mm-hmm. uh not sure that applies anyway this is uh a movie that is often memed uh I think that's a verb you can use and it is. because of the bees thing, which is not actually. In the movie. In, right. So this is the wicker man, the Nicolas Cage wicker man. And yes, that scene of the bees, the bees is in the director's cut of the
0: movie. Which nobody saw.
1: Which I saw. And I did not.
0: And <laughs>
1: I, I watched the, the scene in question. I watched the bee scene.
0: I got to the end of the movie and I was like, did I miss the bee scene? Because a lot of times when I watch these movies, I fall asleep. And then I wake up later and I'm like, <laughs> oh crap, I gotta go back and rewatch it for the show.
1: I have that problem with a lot of just day-to-day conversations. I just <laughs> nod right off, come to, and they're like, and anyway, that's why I need $5,000. So I'm like, whoa.
0: I like that this movie starts off with the Warner Brothers logo, and then we get the Alcon Entertainment logo, and then we get the Millennium Films logo, uh huh, and then we get the Saturn Films logo, and then that's followed up by the Equity Pictures logo. Yeah,
1: boy, it's just a laundry list of failed production companies, isn't it?
0: (laughs) And then the credits for this film are in your favorite font, Papyrus. Fucking goddammit, that's
1: note number one, Chad. How dare this movie use Papyrus font for its titles. Are you kidding? That is the laziest bullshit ever.
0: And then they repeat all of the names of the production companies involved in making this crappy movie in Papyrus font. And it's
1: worth noting, one of those production companies, I think it's Saturn, is Nicolas Cage's production company, which existed before he bought all the fucking graveyards (laughs) and haunted houses and shit in New Orleans, which is my favorite thing about him, was he was just like, what's the creepiest shit I can buy? And then that's what he got. And then afterwards, you could buy it for like a dollar and a half, because he was just desperate for money, which is why he does all the shitty movies that he does. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's still got a huge tax bill to pay off. Uh, But I will say, uh, we're going to probably make fun of Nicolas Cage a little bit tonight. A little bit. (laughs) But I will say, uh, that movie Mandy that he is in, Uh is fucking incredible and he's incredible in it. So, uh, like there is a bit of a Nicolas Cage-assance afoot where he's actually in movies that are kind of fun and interesting. And not just another movie where he's like,
0: I'm the local coach. In the right movie, with the right script and the right director, he's incredible. Raising Arizona, Wild at Heart, mm-hmm. they're they are both undeniably fantastic films. Yeah, and the thing that makes
1: Nicolas Cage fun is that as an actor, he's willing to turn it to 11 at the drop of a hat.
0: If you do that through the framework of a shitty film, you're just ramping up awfulness.
1: Yes, right. That's why you you get, like, you know, Ghost Rider 2, Spirit of Vengeance, where he is a maniac in that movie. It's incredibly entertaining, but it's not a good movie.
0: Before we get into the plot of this film... I want to really address how badly this movie misinterprets everything about its source material. Because the original movie is overly sexual and unsettling, and it has this unexpected, horrific, and strangely satisfying ending. And this movie does none of that. It gets... Everything wrong. Yeah, and just to peel back the
1: curtain a little bit, you had never seen the original Wicker Man. No. Prior to us talking about doing the remake of the wicker man
0: correct so
1: this is the first time we've actually discussed it i i think the wicker man is incredible uh what was your reaction i mean seeing it kind of late in life and there's you know the guild is off that lily for sure but
0: i've never seen a movie that reminded me more of willy wonka and the chocolate factory and stanley kubrick's clockwork orange at the exact same time (laughs) yeah but my favorite scene in that whole movie
1: is when uh brit Eklund is singing the fuck song to him through the wall and Mm -hmm. it's like the cradle of love video or something where he's just like biting his fist and she's crawling wearing his tie (laughs) i mean but it is kind of like this sexy scene it's just edward wordward like no bad erection it, but it's fantastic and at the end of it you have christopher lee fucking r- rock and roller christopher lee mm-hmm. saying it's time to keep your appointment with the wicca man and it's like oh this is good i don't care what happens after that but anytime nick uh, christopher lee uh says that to you in that way you are
0: fucked in watching the original i kept thinking what's going on here as opposed to watching the nicholas cage version where i was like what the fuck is going on here <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's a it's a subtle difference but it's
0: important. The only production in movie history that I can think of that got everything wrong in such grand passionate fashion was when a Christmas carol was made by the IBC network in Scrooged With Bill Murray. And in that film, we had a network putting on the Dickens classic. It really had all of the appropriate pieces and parts. But in that version, it included, you know, Buddy Hackett as Scrooge and Jamie Farr was in it and Mary Lou Retton was Tiny Tim. Somehow the solid gold dancers were there. Mm -hmm. That's what it's like watching this remake of The Wicker Man. Everything from the original source materials there, it's just completely wrong.
1: I think this season's poltergeist is pretty close in analogy of like, yeah, all the pieces are kind of there. It's just, it's all shitty. <laughs> and in the case of The Wicker Man, it's like, hey, what if we change the plot so it's way dumber? And also, what if it's way more misogynistic? Doesn't that sound like a good time, everybody? <laughs> Because as I pointed out in the introduction, like it's, it's almost laughably char- in character for Neil Labute. Where it's just every movie seems to take this turn at some point where it's just like, women are out to get us, (laughs) y'all.
0: This movie starts off and we get an establishing shot that we're in rural somewhere and there's blue skies and open land. And we get to see the names of all the people that are going to be in this movie, none of which you really recognize other than Nicolas Cage. There's one or two names that maybe seem recognizable, but most likely not. There's one big one.
1: Other than Nicolas Cage, which is Ellen Burstyn.
0: Right, and I spent the whole movie waiting for Ellen Barkin to show up.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, that's not going to happen. This ain't Animal Kingdom. I
0: saw her in Man Trouble. That is one of the three movies that I've ever paid for and walked out of. The other two were 1969, starring Kiefer Sutherland, Robert Downey Jr., and one owner River. And the last one was Leonard Part Six, starring convicted rapist Bill Cosby. And leaving that movie, I went to see Throw Mama from the Train with Billy Crystal and Danny DeVito, a far superior film, more so than anything we'll ever reference tonight. And I think you may have been with me when I left said movie to go see other said movie. Yeah, I remember seeing
1: uh, Throw Mama from the Train for sure. I don't remember Mm -hmm. the other one.
0: In Leonard part six, the moment that we as young teenage boys walked out was like he opened a refrigerator full of Coca-Cola. And even for our young prepubescent minds, we were like, fuck this movie, Coca-Cola in a fridge.
1: Yeah, you just want to open those cans of Coke yourself around Leonard part six. (laughs) Don't let him bring you the open one.
0: So our movie takes us to a truck stop diner, and it's at this point we get a real bona fide movie star in this motion picture with Aaron Eckhart uh, portraying the role of nameless trucker in Truck Stop. Yeah,
1: Two-Face pieces right out of this movie. He's just like, nope. Hey, audience of the Wicker Man, get out while the getting's good, says Aaron Eckhart.
0: I'm watching this movie, and I'm like, hey, that's Aaron Eckhart. Where's he going? Should we follow him? He's not coming back, is he? Does he know something? He read the script. Oh my God, this is going to be awful.
1: I'm going to need my check, little darling. I just got a call from Christopher (laughs) Nolan. Looks like I'm out of this shitbag movie.
0: There's also another cop at the end of the counter at this diner, and he's got this big bushy mustache. And there's a sassy waitress there, and they're chit-chatting with one another. And then we see Nicolas Cage across the way, and he's rummaging around this rotating audio book display carousel. It's the kind you would find in your more qualified cracker barrels or maybe Salvation Army salvage stores. Perhaps a stuckies, If you're lucky. You know, but
1: here's what's funny about it. Like, I'm sure you noticed this, but all this wire rack of books and tapes and whatnot, all uh, self-help. Every single one of them is like, sure. hey, buddy, don't be fucked up no more. Uh, <laughs> I think was one of them.
0: I like that when the waitress refers to Nicolas Cage's character, she calls him, hey, honey. And look, let's pause things for a moment and talk about the ham-fisted, heavy-handed, clumsy, and inept ways that this movie fails at subtly weaving in B and B-adjacent imagery, language, and visuals into this motion picture.
1: (laughs) Not since the B movie have there been so many B puns. Did, Did you have that in your notes? Did I family feud that one? not at all okay i
0: didn't think i would see a narrative that would hit you over the head with such obvious visual and literary references as i had seen previously in melville's billy bud however <laughs> Wickerman, kudos to you
1: yeah yeah it's a yeah labute's a real melville that's for sure
0: the b imagery in this movie is so clumsy and unsubtle and it's just screaming in plain sight that i must say they've really set a new standard in my estimation for slapping you in the face with allegory and metaphor in a disastrous attempt to come off as being clever and smart.
1: Yeah, it, it's something to behold, for sure. And, you know, spoilers, I would tell everyone to see this movie who's interested in how not to make a movie right. Yes. Because it gets everything wrong, like including this stuff.
0: Every, they get everything wrong. Nicholas Cage picks up an audiobook from this rack, and it's called Everything's Okay. You know, honey, I'm okay, you're okay, and that's there what it is.
1: God damn it, Chad, that's line four. So he. it turns out he's a motorcycle <laughs> cop because he's got a cool chips helmet (laughs) and there's a montage of him just driving around and pulling people over and issuing bullshit tickets Mm -hmm. and then he sees a doll fly out of a family truckster Mm -hmm. and he does a straight up raising Arizona
0: yeah he scoops it up the way Randall Tex Cobb would scoop up a baby in a high chair right Breaking cardinal
1: rule of cinema for Bo Ransdell.
0: Number seven.
1: (laughs) Number seven. Don't remind me of a better movie while I'm watching your shitty movie. And you're you're already doing it because it's called the fucking Wicker Man. And the original The Wicker Man's amazing. So for McGinsey's, that's a problem. And... So, he follows the car, you know, and throws on the blues and, and pulls the car over, and it's a mother in the front seat and a daughter in the back seat. And this daughter in the back seat's a real handful, Chad.
0: Yeah. She's got blonde hair, and she's wearing a red sweater.
1: Right. Oh, this'll be kind of important. <laughs> it There's a thing that you see it a bunch. Don't worry about it, people. He's like, you know, hey, where are you guys headed so fast, and... Why is this little bitch throwing dolls out of the car? And she's like, uh, well, we're moving and we're in a hurry and sorry about that. And he's like, here you go, little girl. And gives uh, the girl the doll bag. The girl says,
0: did you get my doll? She's all (laughs) shitty about it. Yeah. And he gives her the doll back and she just throws it out the window into traffic. It is the biggest fuck the police moment I've ever seen (laughs) since straight out of Compton.
1: Yeah, coming from a little girl that looks like she'd be trying to sell you some cookies and is instead just trying
0: to straight up murder a cop. And Nicolas Cage says, don't worry, it comes with the territory. I'll go get your little doll again. And then Nicolas Cage walks over and he picks up this doll. And at this point, the car containing this blonde-headed mother and this blonde-haired, I don't know what, what anarchist daughter, <laughs> they, get, they get hit head on by an 18-wheeler smoosh. Yeah
1: yeah i mean it. it's a pretty good car wreck in fairness
0: what would you say is a better head-on collision killing a family this or the changeling the changeling is not nearly as graphic as this this might be better how about the car crash when cameron diaz tries to kill tom cruise in vanilla sky that or this
1: i like the vanilla sky one more because it's so abrupt how about when stuntman mike crashes the car in death proof versus this everything in death proof is better than this
0: how about when Javier Bardem gets hit in No Country for Old Men?
1: Oh, that's fucking good. Uh, yeah, that's way better than this.
0: What about Chris Cooper uh, getting T-boned in Adaptation? Uh, this is maybe better than that. <laughs> How about when that logging stick goes through the windshield in Final Destination too? That's pretty good.
1: Yeah, It's one of the best things that ever happened to me.
0: <laughs> you know it's not good this movie yeah after
1: the truck <laughs> slams into the car Nicolas cage is surprisingly unaffected being so close to this accident and thank he, god yeah yeah th- thanks for all of us uh and he runs to the car which is on fire but the the pretty little blonde-haired anarchist inside is alive uh-huh and just staring at him just like you're gonna let me die cop let that burn <laughs> in your consciousness huh keep your eyes open Nicholas Cage takes, uh, I think it's his helmet, and busts into the, the back window uh-huh. and is like, hey, little girl, take my hand. And she does it. She's just like, fuck you, cop. Just watch me roast. And then the car
0: explodes and we get opening titles. Let me pause things for a moment. Here. Please. For anyone who hasn't seen this movie, and you absolutely should, it's terrible. I want to jump to the end of this movie and deconstruct all of the nonsense that happens between here and in credits. Okay. When we get to the end of the movie, the big reveal is that Nicolas Cage is being set up by this female cult of bee-worshiping hippies in the Pacific Northwest because they need him to help create a healthy harvest of honey or babies or something. And all of the actions, interactions, and seemingly self-made decisions in Nicolas Cage's life, unbeknownst to him, are leading to this fateful demise. And at the end of the movie, Nicolas Cage is going to die, so more on that later. But here's my question. Is the blonde-headed mom and the little girl in this car part of the larger invisible hand? Of the hippie B women that are leading Nicolas Cage to this unavoidable future? Or is this just a coincidence that they look and act just like all of the other weirdos that we're going to meet in this movie in this most likely Canadian town pretending to be the Pacific Northwest?
1: I don't know. I don't, I know that's an unsatisfying answer. I don't know. I, I, I can't imagine how, like, I want that to be the case, but I'm like, how on earth would you engineer this? in any conceivable way and you can't so if this is just a random act why do we spend the entire movie flashing back is it like because (laughs) he he got all crazy like uh insane in the membrane that the female cop who was clearly in on it if she was like oh he's good and broken now and he's on vacation what a perfect time to send him to his doom
0: it's because it's poorly written and poorly conceived Right, Because if they're in on it, this woman and this little girl drove their car and dropped a doll so that he would pick it up. And then they parked. And then apparently they hired someone to drive an 18-wheeler to crash into them to kill them, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, it would all have to be people that were like uh, the strike force from Summer's Isle where it was like, All right, Katie, you know what to do. That's right. I'm going to sit there in the car and let Jeff... Run the fuck into me and kill me and the little girl. That's right. Why are we doing this again? Because we need to sacrifice somebody to kill
0: for harvest. Huh. But at the same time, I'm so sorry about this. It None of this makes any damn sense because even in this movie, the woman Willow that we'll meet later had sex with him eight years and nine months ago in preparation for a harvest that's bad so they can kill him to offset bad moj
1: i get the impression they ain't waiting for a bad harvest in in summer's isle i think it's like uh, you know what i think one of the bees was a little logie we better kill one of these dudes that you fucked out on rumspringa <laughs>
0: Let's just keep going. All if right. we really try to like deconstruct this, it's going to be like trying to explain the time travel nonsense of Back to the Future, which you should never do because it's a perfect trilogy.
1: We'll both end up in the booby hatch. We keep <laughs> doing much more of that. Uh, so, Nicolas Cage, when we when we come out of credits, uh, Nicolas Cage is popping a pill and watching a cowboy movie. Sure. And his lady police officer friend shows up. Officer,
0: not Jane Lynch. Right. Oh, my God. She
1: looks so much like Jane Lynch. It's eerie. <laughs> but but she's not because Jane Lynch would have been better. But this lady police officer shows up and uh, she's like, hey, are you resigning? And he's like, I can't. My dad would kill me. Don't worry, that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't matter at all.
0: And I got to ask you, so Officer Not Jane Lynch, she's part of the broader conspiracy to guide Nicolas Cage to his unavoidable end, correct?
1: Yes. One. So- yes.
0: So, Officer Not Jane Lynch went to the police academy. Uh She worked really hard to make it through the ranks, and she got assigned to a division of the force that would allow her to become friends with Nicolas Cage so that after her fellow female cult friend member and her fuck-the-man blonde-haired younger daughter sacrificed themselves in a head-on crash so that Not Jane Lynch... Could stop by and console Nicolas Cage and bring him letters from other police officers, which also include a letter to kickstart this movie into high gear, is what's happening here?
1: I'm sorry I stopped listening there. Um, You were saying something about Nicolas Cage and uh, drugs?
0: It's so contrived!
1: It is... Beyond elaborate. like, And I want to say again, the original Wicker Man, when they get around to explaining, like, here's how we got you here. But it makes so much more sense because you see it all through the movie. Yes. And (laughs) by the time he gets to his ultimate fate, it's like, yeah, man, like they've been playing you like a fiddle because you're a big stick in the mud. Mm-hmm. but in this one it is that labyrinthine kind of okay well if the mother and daughter were in on this along with the cop and so who is not part of the summer's Isle conspiracy you know it's like x-file season seven where everybody took a turn at being a villain and by the time you get done with it it's like okay well then who's not a fucking alien on this show
0: nicholas cage is like so did they ever identify those bodies in that car that got blowed up in front of me and Officer Not Jane Lynch is like, yeah, they couldn't identify him and the car wasn't registered. So a big goose egg on the department scoreboard. We're going to chalk that up as a not.
1: Yeah. Not just that, Chad. She's like, we didn't find the bodies. It's like, <laughs> what the fuck? What happened? What, did they leave <laughs> science? I, I mean, this is not a, like, there would be bones. There would be something left. Like some, that means that somebody had to come get their charred
0: corpses, out of out of that wreckage before the actual police arrived not Jane Lynch leaves a bunch of get well cards with him and Nicholas Cage starts reading through his mail and he gets to this handwritten letter from an ex-girlfriend who it appears is working as a professional calligrapher based on the handwriting we see
1: on display. It, it's a real like dear John oh by the way you've got a kid letter even though he, he doesn't realize that because he's a super detective for far too long
0: but the ex-girlfriend her name is Willow yes and To your point, she is writing a letter saying, I have a daughter, and no man in the history of ever has received an email, phone call, letter, telegram, choose your form of communication, where an ex-girlfriend writes you a letter to say, I have a daughter, and their first thought was, hmm, I wonder who the dad is.
1: She left me nine years ago, and her nine-year-old daughter is missing. She must have met someone real fast.
0: At this point, the movie begins to confuse us, the viewing audience, and it really doesn't let up until the credits roll. In this beautifully handwritten letter, there is a photograph of Willow's daughter. And her name is Rowan and she is dressed in a red sweater and she has blonde hair and she looks just like the little girl from the car. What got smashed, blowed up and set on fire about three minutes ago in the movie.
1: Nicholas Cage being a crack detective just Googles Summer's Isle mm-hmm. and it's just like, huh,
0: honey and hippie medicine sounds like a job for Nicolas Cage. And then the phone rings behind him and he picks it up and this voice goes, Edward, which that's Nicolas Cage in this movie, I guess, I don't know. And then the phone goes dead. And having watched this a couple of times, I was just like, why did that happen? Yeah. Who called him? For what purpose? Because Nicolas Cage isn't phased by this at all. It comes of nothing. We don't know who called him. It doesn't matter.
1: Yeah. It's a real nothing. Hey, you want to, you know what else is a real nothing? Seeing him pop these pills every now and again. It's never a deal. It's just a thing he does in the movie, you know? At no point is it like, oh, I've got tension headaches or, you know, whatever he's taking the pills for. We don't really know that other stress, maybe. And, but at no point is it like, I need my pills. I've got to get off this island. It just drives me (laughs) to fucking crazy. (laughs)
0: Nicholas Cage goes down to police HQ and he meets his nameless moustached partner from earlier in the movie at the diner. And Nicolas Cage says, this letter showed up, but it ain't got no stamp. And Officer Not Jane Lynch delivered it. How did this letter get in the stack of stamped letters at my house? Who would have done this? And then his partner takes the handwritten letter and he reads it. And he's like, so this is an old flame. And Nicolas Cage says, ex-fiancé. Which this nameless partner was like and she has the nerve to write you a letter after some other man got her pregnant and now she needs help finding this other man's child the nerve of some people i admire
1: the fact that one character in this movie at least is like you know what fuck that lady you haven't seen her since she ran out on you you don't owe her anything
0: but then officer not jane lynch stops by and she pokes her in like hey guys And then she leaves for no reason. And then Nicolas Cage says, well, anyway, I'm headed to Summer's Isle to help find this little girl. Her mother and her father must be terribly
1: worried. I don't know. She didn't mention a guy. I'm curious, but I want
0: to play it cool. I mean, she's got a kid. Keep in mind that Nicolas Cage has about as much legal authority being a California police officer going up to, what, the Pacific Northwest as Buford T. Justice had once he left the great state of Texas. See episode one, season one of Pick Six Movies for more on that.
1: And he flashes the badge a lot. We'll get to it. But he he, he acts like he has any sort of authority or jurisdiction and certainly does not.
0: No, not at all. We next see Nicolas Cage riding on a ferry boat, and he's dressed like a substitute teacher. He's got a button-down shirt and a tie and a sweater vest and a tweed jacket with the patches on the elbows too. It's all coming together. I just want to get real with the kids. Hey, Jimmy. I noticed you went out
1: for the team, but didn't make it.
0: Yeah, they didn't pick me.
1: Chin up, pal.
0: Really? You think I've got it, kid? You've got it. <laughs> nicholas cage is reading the letter that was sent to him by his ex fiance for probably like the 50th time and then he's slapping on a little aqua velva nice women <laughs> yeah. like a man who smells good and yeah. aqua velva will do the trick or maybe old spice that's good too right
1: brute just keep yourself a, <laughs> a fifth of brute what are you
0: wearing it's brute
1: jesus christ most users are degenerate alcoholics who drink (laughs) it rather than wear it that's why that's why you get it by the handle
0: (laughs) so then outside (laughs) on the ferry boats landing nicholas cage sees another blonde-haired little girl in a red sweater and she's looking out on the water and then nicholas cage imagines an 18 wheeler killing this little girl by driving across the bow of this ship and just crunching this girl to death and he's imagining it i felt i was like i was like oh my god this drug driver is really bad at his job <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah drug hover crafters <laughs> <laughs> what are we gonna do about those assholes don't care if it's land or air or sea chad bad driving all over the place
0: but to make matters even more confusing we cut back and we see that he didn't just imagine the little girl because the little girl is real and she's there with her blonde older mom and i'm like are they part of the hippie cult also just to kind of keep the theme running along
1: who knows all i know is that it drove him right to his nervous pills again
0: i need my pills <laughs> yeah,
1: because they never really put a point on what what these pills are. That's what I thought of them as. The entire movie of just oh, these are my nervous pills. You know,
0: <laughs> Nicholas Cage calls up his nameless mustached partner back in California, and he leaves a message that says, "Hey, pal, I just wanted you to know that I'm hello, hello." So. Nobody knows where Nicolas Cage is from here on out, except for the fact that he told his partner earlier where he was going and when and why he would be there.
1: Uh, he's really setting himself up to just go plane missing. <laughs> I, know, I know from my years squatching in those woods, you always let somebody know where you're going to be.
0: <laughs> Nicolas Cage wanders down to this boat dock and he meets this seaplane captain who says that he's going to Summer's Isle, as he does every day, to drop off supplies. And Nicolas Cage asks for a ride. And the seaplane captain says, fuck off. And Nicolas Cage bribes the seaplane captain with his two friends, Mr. Grant and his twin brother Ulysses. <laughs> yeah, it's just the worst. He gives him two fifty dollar bills. <laughs> yeah,
1: and this this guy whose livelihood
0: the the seaplane captain.
1: Yeah, the the uh, this pilot who is like I can't take you to Summers Isle. There are private people. I I they're part of me livelihood because he talks like a pirate. And sure. Nicholas Cage is just like, how about a cool hundred dollars to. S- potentially lose your future. Kaching. Yeah, and he's just like he has no impulse control at all. His <laughs> tongue rolls out of his mouth like a cartoon wolf and he
0: Do you know how many scratch-off lottery tickets I could <laughs> buy with that? The answer is 100. That's me retirement plan one of these days. <laughs> all sevens. The the seaplane captain's like, all right, give me the hundred bucks. I'll drop you off on a beach outside of town and you can walk your way in.
1: Like, they're still not going to know, like, where did this stranger come from? Oh, there's the plane. But they didn't show up at exactly the same time.
0: (laughs) Maybe he swam.
1: Yeah, right. He does get dropped off at like uh, some little inlet uh, so that the pilot doesn't get blamed. And as he's going up this hill, he just sees some locals behind him. Mm -hmm. doing some manual labor and whatnot and not saying a word to him
0: yeah he's confronted by this like main old lady weirdo uh in front of all these other weirdos and she's wearing like a butcher smock that's covered in blood and nicholas cage says i'm a cop And I'm here to investigate a missing child. And this old lady weirdo, and she's got like these like two or three guys that are walking up behind her and they're carrying this bag that is what, like, it's, it's slightly larger than the size of your average dead seaplane captain. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's squirming and dripping blood. So super detective Nicholas Cage is like, Hey, wait a second. Is there something fishy in that bag?
0: He's not very good at his job.
1: (laughs) No. One of the recurring themes of pick six movies, detectives in movies generally suck (laughs) at detecting stuff.
0: Nicholas Cage pulls out a picture and he says, look, weird old lady and your weird old lady friends. Have you seen this child? She was last seen wearing her damn jammies. They had Yodas and shit on them. And the old lady's like, I haven't seen a child like that today or yesterday or tomorrow. Like, we don't know this kid at all.
1: Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we don't know her. And uh, he shows the the picture to some of the other women gathering around. They're like, yeah, we don't know who that is. And they're like, hey, if you're going to stay here, you need to go speak with Sister Summer's Isle. And he's like, I was invited here by Willow. And they're like, oh, my
0: ex-girlfriend slash fiance Willow sent me a letter and she needs my help finding this eight-year-old little girl. We were engaged for about eight years and nine months ago, and I'm here to help her find her missing daughter, Rowan. Willow and Rowan's dad must be incredibly worried about their little girl.
1: Just between you and me, do you see her around with a guy much?
0: This creepy old lady was like, "Willow, tis be up at the mating house," and I was like, "What's a mating house?" I was like, "Is that a brothel or a place where you match socks?" I,
1: they I have them know. in Amsterdam, <laughs> do they? The mating house is sure.
0: Oh, Mike, note to self go to Amsterdam.
1: <laughs> Note to self, stay away from Amsterdam.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Nicolas Cage looks over and he was like, hey, your bag is dripping with a blood-like substance. And this creepy old lady says, you want to take a peek? And then these two mute guys that are holding this bag and the creepy old lady, she reaches over and she takes off the rope that's keeping like one end of it closed. And then Nicolas Cage moves in for a peek a leek a And then the bag shakes and twitches. And the creepy old lady laughs and nicholas cage is startled and then he just wanders away yeah he doesn't take a peek why wouldn't you peek i would peek you've gone that far you got it scared
1: once they're not gonna do it again because the gag's done it's like uh, in these Bond movies, sometimes the supervillain plan doesn't work because at the last second, James Bond like snaps
0: a wire or some shit. It's like, try that again. He's not always going to find you. <laughs> Nicholas Cage goes up to the mating house and it's filled with mostly women uh, and they're all dressed as pilgrims. And that it's here that Nicolas Cage meets Sister Beach, played by Diane Delano. And for fans of Northern Exposure, of which I am one, mm-hmm. she was Maurice Minifield's on-again, off-again girlfriend, Officer Barbara Szymanski. And Sister Beach says, what do you want? And then Nicolas Cage says, I need a room to stay in while I'm here looking for this little girl that's gone missing. Have you seen her? She has my blue eyes and rye smirk. We have the same receding hairline and passionate love of nectarines.
1: And everybody's like, um, you mean your daughter? He's like, no, so many people might mistake that, but see Willow and I, we broke up. And then she apparently came back here, had a daughter with some stranger. That's not
0: me. Clearly. Is it weird if I ask you about it? Like, does she live alone now sister beach also but says piss off and then who comes walking in but sister willow Nicholas Cage's ex and the mother of the missing child, Rowan. And Nicholas Cage and Willow, they exchange smiles and knowing glances. And then Sister Beach uh concedes to let Nicholas Cage stay in the empty room at the top of this building or structure that they're in. I think it's a hotel or maybe a bed and breakfast. All I'm saying is that there is a giant empty hole at the top of this structure, a place where you could, you know, stay or hang a man upside down. I mean, sleep horizontally in a bed at the top of this wooden framework that this commune built uh by a bunch of living wackadoos
1: (laughs) yeah the best move he makes here is she offers him uh, a mead and he's like yeah i'll have some mead and then he gets like one drink of it and it goes right to his head apparently because then he just turns around and throws down outrageous lies onto this community of people where he Bangs his badge on the counter and goes, All right, (laughs) I am here on official police business. And it's like, You are not to begin (laughs) with. There is nothing official about what's happening here. (laughs) And then he says, And I'm going to want to talk to each and every one of you. And they're like, Fucking whatever, man. Like, maybe yes, (laughs) maybe no. You need to take that upstairs and sleep it off. And then uh, a bee lands on him and he does what everyone who's uh, afraid of getting stung by a bee does. He smacks it to his flesh and, and they're like, hey, what did you kill that bee for, man? And he's like, I'm allergic and it's like okay that i'm sure will come into play later and then willow grabs his stuff and it's just like i'll see him up to his room you know i mean the father of my i mean nothing and uh so grabs his shit takes him upstairs uh gives him this this key but also slips him a note as she does so that says they're being watched and he should believe nothing
0: Right. And for those that missed earlier episodes of Pig Six movies, just as a baseline, when someone in a film says, trust me in a movie, don't trust them. Right. They're the villain. But but if they ask, do you trust me? You can totally trust him. Yes. But in this case, if they say, don't trust anyone, then you can trust them at first. But later on, they're going to turn out to be a bad guy or in this case, a bad woman or a bad willow. And they're going to fuck you over. And in this case, Willow is going to turn out to be one of the many people that are planning to kill Nicolas Cage.
1: Yeah, they're playing him for a chump. Yeah. And so Willow is like, you know, meet me uh, in an hour somewhere uh, private. And he does. And Nicolas Cage uh, finds that Willow is still wearing uh, the engagement ring uh, around her neck. And this is the point where he's like, hey,
0: what happened to you? yeah well he says traditionally the guy gets his ring back when his fiance runs away and willow is just like oh here you go again nicholas cage this is exactly why i left you're so goddamn selfish it's all about you hey you about and gift me, giving rules it was a lot of down payments a lot of deposits mm-hmm. we lost them all Right, right. You know what? I'll give you this. You got to do something for me. I'll take you to dinner, but you know what you got to do later. It's insulting. You know what? Maybe I pawned that ring to put food on the table for our, I mean, my daughter. You didn't
1: pawn it. It's around your neck. You're just being rude to make a point, which is what you always do, Willow.
0: <laughs> Nicholas Cage, he goes on. He's like, hey, let's go slow here. I'm just adjusting to the fact that you have a daughter. <laughs> Right. that's left-handed like me and enjoys water painting as a means of relaxation the same way that i do what did you say her middle name was i'm her dad weird nicholas cage says what happened to you willow did you run off and leave me with that very expensive engagement ring on your finger and willow's like like why do we do anything in life nicholas cage i don't know and nicholas cage says was it some other guy i mean obviously it was some other <laughs> guy who's the biological father of your missing daughter that in this snapshot photo appears to naturally lean to the left in embarrassment as you took her photo kind of like i used to do when you took pictures
1: of me even after all that unprotected sex we had right up until <laughs> the day you left And doctors had just told me I had something called 120% fertility rate.
0: Willow response. look, Nicholas Cage, I was scared. Okay. I was young. I res, I wasn't ready for all this. Whatever this is. Look, just be happy. I reached out to you at all. Okay. And I didn't even mention the, the crafts woman like calligraphy that was in that letter I sent to you. You know what? You didn't say anything about that. I wrote all that. It took me three days. I had to start over four times. You never notice any of the little details. You're a perfectionist. How many times did I tell you that my love language is a combination of acts of service and gift giving? i swear i think your love language is being an ungrateful asshole that's what i think
1: you know the moment is why they call it the present willow
0: <laughs> this is all very odd why not get someone with a background in police and detective work to find your missing daughter rowan Maybe like her father. I'm guessing that he has a background like that. Wouldn't it be weird if I had somehow met him before, seeing as I'm a police officer and he's a police officer,
1: hypothetically? I can tell you, I think you two would really hit it off.
0: Yeah, you know what? Nicolas Cage is sharp as a tack and dumb as a rock. Look, I gotta go. So good luck walking around this island with all of these stinky people that don't use deodorant or soap looking at our shit. Look, our missing, your, my, look, it's my missing daughter. Okay, I've got a missing daughter.
1: Let's just say Rowan. Uh, but yeah, so a bell rings and she's got to take off. And he, he says, you know, if the girl is here, I'll find her and mm-hmm, sure you will good luck so to get right on the case he immediately goes back to his room uh to unpack and uh we see that he's got some bee epipens because remember when he said i'm allergic to bees the movie thinks you might have forgot
0: i like that the the brands on the epipens are called bee epi pins Uh but they're shot upside down so it's not easily read
1: this is a an active viewing film chad it's where the movie is demanding you as a viewer to fill in some of the gaps
0: it's just it's another subtle example of how this movie gets everything backwards upside down and wrong
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah boy yeah what a metaphor that is but <laughs> so as he's unpacking super sleuth nicholas cage like opens the door and beach is telling two creepy old twin ladies uh who are dre- like if the shining twins grew up bad Right, that that's who we're dealing with, and they're yes. and they're like Lady Summerisle won't be joining us. Beach is like we have to be ready for tomorrow, uh, for the time of death and rebirth and the return of the Wicker Man. Huh. Uh, did you hear any of that, Nicholas Cage? And then, uh, Nicholas Cage sees a maid as played by Lily Sobieski coming out the room next to him. And she Her is, name
0: is Sister Honey. Oh, goddamn! And she's biting an apple. How she isn't wearing a snake around her neck and having fig leaves hiding her nipples and crotch is a mystery to me.
1: It's really something. Uh, the fact that it, her name isn't like Sister Honey Eve is a minor <laughs> miracle of restraint for this film. So she's got this big basket of apples at her arm. And he's like, Hey. Did you unpack my shit? Cause I'm missing some things. My I'm okay. You're okay.
0: Tapes are gone. I rented them from a truck stop and they're due back by next Wednesday. Else I pay 99 cents a day late fee.
1: Boy, that's another deposit. Nicholas Cage is going to lose. And and
0: sister honey's like, I don't know. And then she splits with her basket of forbidden fruit.
1: Right. And he kind of gives her the eye like, wow, she's quite the looker.
0: And then that
1: night, he (laughs) dreams of the girl on the boat again while Uh the card is being narrated that he got that's like, come to Summer's Island, save Rowan, my daughter, not your daughter, maybe your daughter. We'll talk about it when you get here. And then a truck hits the girl, and then he's by the car on the road, and then a truck passes by, and the passengers in the car disappear, and then he wakes up and takes a nervous pill. Right. And it's all nonsense and then he sees a a girl outside in the dark and chases after her
0: right he hears some distant chatter according to the closed captioning on my television
1: (laughs) yeah it was real it
0: was
1: like squirrels in the distance
0: it's a little blonde-headed girl again wearing a red sweater and she scampers off every little girl in this movie is dressed in the same red sweater outfit when it all wraps up at the end of the film, it begs more questions than it provides answers in regard to what is going on in this film. Yeah, and the fact that there
1: are two reasonably different versions of the ending, I think says something too. But
0: But in this particular scene, if everyone is conspiring against Nicolas Cage to have him die in the end, are they just waiting for him to wake up from his slumber? And then when he goes to the window, they're all just like, you know, Marion, run, run, go, 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 go. Now he's out there. Yeah. Go, 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 hurry. hurry. Hurry, hurry 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 and then run off to the barn i
1: call this the uh crystal skull dilemma I uh, because in that film there were, was a a tribe of of natives that hid in the walls and just right. waited for people to come by which begs the question the fuck do they do all day just hang out like you know jimmy one of these days somebody's gonna come by and we are gonna come out of this wall and it is gonna look Awesome, <laughs> But it's the same kind of thing of, oh, or if all these people are in on it, like if this little girl has to take him to the barn to get him to hopefully go up in the loft, which is what happens, so that right. hopefully he falls through the wood at the right spot, and but doesn't totally fall, just kind of falls and catches himself at the last second before he lands on a pile of broken furniture and saw blades and spikes uh, or whatnot. Okay. and But... Again, if this is all being orchestrated... Like, this is why this movie gets everything wrong and the the original gets it so right. is because everything that happens to Edward Woodward in the the original is like, oh, you can see how this would be choreographed. Whereas this is like, so we're just hoping he steps on the right thing and if he does step on the right thing that he catches himself
0: before it's too late? It's way too detailed and way too specific. In the original, it's more... Not fast and loose, but there's more wiggle room to get him to the conclusion of the motion picture.
1: Yes, this is far too elaborate in every conceivable way.
0: It makes the game look plausible.
1: Yes, yes. The game seems like a more likely
0: scenario. (laughs) And that's a movie at the end of it. You're just like, bullshit.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's Now You See Me too is another one where it's like, you just made straight up magic happen.
0: (laughs) The next morning, Nicolas Cage is at a table and he's eating breakfast at the Summer's Isle B&B and Sister Honey, the apple chomping younger weirdo that was upstairs earlier um, in the film, she shows up and she's not carrying apples this time. And Nicolas Cage says, hey, this plastic honey barrel, my table's empty. Can I get some honey? And she says, we don't have any real honey for you, Outlander, but I'll give you some sugar. And also our harvest last year was ruined. And Nicolas Cage is like, yeah, whatever. So then Sister Honey, she leaves the breakfast uh, nook and Nicolas Cage makes his way over to this wall that has framed photos hanging in a six by 10 grid of black and white photos. And it kind of looks like a restaurant that would hang up pictures of, like, C and D-list celebrities that have eaten there. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's always, like, Elvira or Wee Man or Mean Gene Okerlund. (laughs) Tony Danza is going
1: to show up on a wall like that. Yeah.
0: (laughs) David Hasselhoff. You might get Lou Ferrigno. And for some weird reason, Tiger Woods is on the wall.
1: Yeah, that one you you keep thinking you're gonna take it down but eh, he seems okay now.
0: <laughs> Nicholas Cage inspects all of these photos and they're all of little girls in clearly ritualistic settings and there're stones around their feet and i think it says at the bottom miss queen of the harvest insert you're here. Yeah. And one of the frames is busted out and the photo is gone. That's curious could it be
1: a clue super sleuth nicholas cage he's just like hey you better sweep this up it's someone could get a nasty cut
0: sister beach the brawny overseer of this b&b she comes out with some sugar and nicholas cage says what's this some ritual or something i'm a detective and i detected that sister beach says yeah it's our harvest festival at the end of autumn when we harvest food you know at the end of autumn and then we also have a fertility festival but that's a little too sacred and no pictures can be taken because we fuck like crazy during that (laughs) festival
1: yeah because it's really something to see i mean you won't (laughs) see it in this movie but it's really something to see i'm sure at least again the original had the decency to show a bunch of random 70s people fucking out in a field god there is a
0: lot of fucking in that original yeah it's great (laughs) it's kind of like a porno that they edited to be a legitimate
1: film yeah, but, it, but that's the thing that makes, uh, not, I mean, the single thing, but one of the things that makes that movie so good is that you throw Edward uh, Woodward into that movie being all prim and proper, and literally everyone around him is drinking and fucking, and he's just like, oh, heavens to <laughs> Murgatroyd. It's, oh, it's so good. After uh, Super Sleuth is like, hey, maybe this missing picture is something to look into. It's what we call in the business, a lead. And then he goes to find Sister Honey chopping wood outside.
0: Yeah. She's splitting logs.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and that doesn't mean in this case she's wearing a thong. So he shows her the picture of the girl. And he's like, hey, have you seen her? And Sister Honey laughs. And he's like,
0: uh, where's
1: Where's the other woman? Uh, what's her name? Sister Rose or whatever. Rose. Yeah. And uh, she points him up to uh, the school up the hill and uh, through the woods is how she puts it uh, up the hill and through the woods.
0: Yeah. That's how you get everywhere on this Island, right? Up the hill and through the woods. That, That leads you to everything.
1: And he's like, Hey, so what's going on tomorrow? What's this super festival? Is it like, should I dress
0: casual? Tweed jacket or
1: no tweed jacket. I mean, either way, the sweater vest is happening. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, but She's like, well, I don't know. Then she says kind of suddenly, when you leave, you have to take me with you. And he's like,
0: hey, get off me. But as an audience member, when she says, if you leave, will you take me with you? There is a moment where you think Sister Honey knows that this place is up to no good. She wants to escape and maybe Nicolas Cage can help her. But at the end right. of the movie, none of this is true. Right. And, and also, because
1: it never comes up again, it's not like she's playing him. No. It's just like, oh, in this one moment, she acts a little erratically for
0: goofs. It's only in this film to tie to kind of the epilogue of the movie.
1: Yeah. Okay. I suppose. And then uh, he takes off uh, and gives her a look like, you were out of your mind. And then passes this line of pregnant women along the path, uh, uh-huh. just because apparently
0: it's breeding season on Summer's Isle. Uh, and I it,
1: guess, yeah,
0: it's like five pregnant women, and they're like pregnant, like <laughs> a baby's about to fall out of all of them.
1: <laughs> right? A creepy little cultist any second will be with us, and he finds the uh, the school uh, uh-huh. up up the hill and through the woods, as taught by Molly Parker, who's a, a fine actress. But, uh, she's sister Rose, and a- as he shows up at the door uh to the, the school, he kind of listens in, and she is saying that what man is in his purest form uh is she poses that question to to the class and two twin girls again Terry
0: and Terry right,
1: a lot of twins in this movie. How
0: can you tell they all look the same
1: right? but it feels like with the older twins and then you see these twins that there's that's going to matter somehow don't worry right and the twins start chanting phallic symbol phallic symbol phallic symbol isn't
0: Uh, that a 19th century version of that little boy in kindergarten cop saying boys have a penis and girls have a vagina
1: (laughs) it's what i have to say to get erect now (laughs) just to chant i go to a place in my mind nicholas cage like startles her when he's like hey there kids and she's like oh what are you doing in here crazy man and then uh he's like hey i just want to rap with you guys for a second i got a picture here to show you if you could pass that wait, around wait, wait
0: that's a photo of me hold on here it is <laughs> This is a photo of the missing girl. We look so much alike. Anyway, have any of you seen this missing little
2: girl?
1: And yeah, in one, they're just like, um, we don't know who this is. They say they don't know the name or the picture. And then in a nod to the original, which works way better in the original, of course, but he's like, hey. As does everything. There's an empty desk. Whose is that? And... They open the desk and a crow flies out. Uh-huh. And then he's like, why would you do something horrible like that to the sacred crow? The the bird that carries the spirit to the afterlife. Um, and they're like, we just wanted to see how long uh, we could do that for before the, the bird died. And Nicolas Cage has a good old fashioned Nicolas Cage freak out when he's just like,
0: what? Why would you do a sick thing like that? Give me your attendance book. I'm sick of playing games, people.
1: Yeah. And sure enough, in like, you know, super detective fashion, the name like Rowan Williams or whatever her name is in the movie, uh uh Rowan's name is in the book, but it's crossed out like,
0: nope. One thing upon repeated viewing, when he's looking for Rowan's name, he says out loud, bear with me. <laughs> and at the end of the movie, you know, he's dressed up like a bear. And I was oh. like, well, look how clever you are
1: oh god i didn't notice that and i'm glad i didn't (laughs) i feel worse for knowing that Uh,
0: i'm sorry i
1: feel less smart somehow for having that piece of information
0: when he sees rowan's name he looks at the class and he's like you're all liars you're nothing but a bunch of liar liar pants on fire and sister rose your pants are on fire more than any of them and I'm gonna arrest you and Sister Rose is just like you're from California you have no jurisdiction how about you and I go outside and talk so Nicolas Cage and Sister Rose they step outside to chit chat
1: one of my favorite things in the whole movie happens here though because this is the first time Sister Rose introduces herself by name and when she says my name is Sister Rose Nicolas Cage's response is of course another plant Oh, that's sweet, Chad. That is the kind of shitty dialogue that I can dine on for weeks.
0: Sister Rose says, look, if we knew that Rowan existed, we would talk about it. And then Nicolas Cage is like, if, if I just saw her name scratched out in your attendance record book. And Sister Rose is like, oh yeah, look, what I meant to say was we're all grieving for Rowan Woodard. That's what I meant to say. And Nicolas Cage is like, so she's dead man how am i gonna break this to her father it's the worst conceivable outcome for a parent to bury their own child poor guy doesn't even know he has a daughter and i'm probably gonna be the one to track him down and tell him the good news of a daughter and then break the bad news that she's dead
1: also i've been staring in the mirror a lot when
0: i say these things i don't know if that means anything Nicholas Cage says, What happened to Rowan? And Sister Rose says, It was an accident. And <laughs> we did everything we could, but she died before I could see her. <laughs> Nicholas Cage asks Sister Rose how Rowan died, and Sister Rose uses the simple future tense, and she says, Oh, she'll burn to death. And he's just like, oh, Wait, gotcha. <laughs> Jacques Hughes. She will or she did. And Sister Rose is like, well, what did you hear? I heard you say she will burn to death. And Sister Rose is like, well, that's on you then. Get those corn cobs out of yours, Nicholas Cage. I got a class to teach about phallic symbols and William Blake quotes. And we need to put a new crow in that desk to torture it. Look, I'm out.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh my God. This whole movie stuns me in so many ways. She'll burn to death. I mean, she burned to death. I uh, just... <laughs> <laughs> This'll Nicholas hold up Cage. in court unlike my presence here. He he goes to this church where uh, supposedly Rowan's buried, and there are some boys at work there, and there's a woman who looks like Rose, but is like, that's not me. And uh so it like again it's this twin thing,
0: I guess. Yeah, her name is Sister Thorne, and we as the audience we would never recognize this. Aside from the fact that Nicolas Cage points it out, he's, he's just like, Hey, didn't I just talk to you a few minutes ago? You look vaguely identical to the actress in the schoolhouse that played Sister Rose. Also... Do you have any advice on breaking bad news to an unexpected grieving father? And then our movie just moves on to other things, as much of this movie does, uh because nothing comes of nothing as you watch this film. Nicolas Cage makes his way to the uh like the commune's graveyard and it looks real f- like fakey in the movie and he comes across a fresh grave and Who's watching him from behind, but his ex fiancee, Willow? And Willow says, it's not Rowan's grave. What kind of detective are you? Look, somebody is trying to cover this up. Get your head out of your ass and go find my daughter. Look over there that's a crypt and it's flooded with water so don't go down there you're probably going to find floating zombies and swamp monsters a boogerman or some shit like that it's all creepy and it smells like a dumpster behind a carl's jr don't go down don't worry i've got plenty of brute and then
1: nicholas cage super sleuth is like hey
0: the padlock is new on this crypt somebody's up to something well, Willow's like the, the assholes on this island. Look, I got to tell you something. They blame Rowan for the bad harvest last year. And these pricks are truly out to hurt our, damn it, my daughter. Okay. I look I ran off to explore the world behind this inbred little island. And they're trying to get back at me for getting out and living my life. Sure. You know what? I left. I'm going to admit it. I drank some Aussie Cola out in the real world. I did it. Guilty as charged. All right. Sue me. And you know what else? I went to Dollywood. Yes. And you know what else I did? I talked my way backstage to meet Chris Gaines yeah i did that i lived a life and these people are jealous and me and our damn it my daughter
2: <laughs>
0: and you know what the worst one of the bunch is sister summer's Isle. she's jealous she hates me okay and she's probably gonna hate you too when she meets you
1: and and finally we get the payoff we've all wanted where willow is just like you have you have to find our daughter and he's like wait a second did you say our daughter and she's like that's right Rowan is your daughter Nicolas Cage and his immediate response is you should have told me it's like well of course that's the only way he ever would have sniffed this one out (laughs) finally I mean it's like when Kevin Spacey walks into the station in seven and it's officers uh that is the daddy reveal that we get in this scene it's so good
0: what are you kidding me we got ourselves a family here yeah
1: (laughs) so they go to some attic uh where willow kept rowan as punishment
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah everything is painted white yeah yeah
1: it's not i haven't seen such a creepy bedroom since the uh serial killer police officer in the dead zone You know, it's pretty bad. (laughs) And he's like, you got to tell me, where did you see her last? What was she doing?
0: The last time I saw her, she was at a desk. Rowan loves to draw. And you know what else? She's a great swimmer, so maybe she swam off the island. I don't know. But, you know, I took her to the market and then poof, she's gone all her toys and her books look she was wearing a red sweater you know the kind of red sweater that every blonde haired girl wears everywhere she goes everywhere that's what she was wearing
1: and He's like who's was taking pictures of that strangers i mean my daughter sorry still wrapping my head around that one
0: Nicholas Cage looks under this writing desk and here we see in like red crayon or ink the type of insane markings normally reserved for your Ted Kaczynski's or perhaps your young Reed Richards I mean it is just scribbled insanity underneath and like in the middle other the words help me and there's a bunch of people drawn that are on fire and all kinds of crazy clear cries for help.
1: Right I mean this is a real we need to talk about Kevin except it's we need to talk about rowan because he's like hey did you see the crazy shit that our daughter's been drawing under this desk this comes from your side of the family not mine and willow's immediately like yeah she's having a tough time around
0: here it's like no
1: lady <laughs> that ain't a tough time that's mind hunter season three
0: <laughs> nicholas cage sees the seaplane And he's like, hey, look, I'm going to run after this to use the radio. So he makes his way down to the dock and he waits for the seaplane captain to return. The seaplane captain doesn't return. But then Nicolas Cage eventually hears like this like thump, thump from underneath the dock. And he investigates because that's his job. And he sees a little girl with blonde hair floating beneath a protective grate in the dock. So Nicolas Cage starts screaming, Rowan, I mean, my daughter. And then he jumps in the water, swims under the dock only to find the corpse of a child. And as he approaches it, poof, it's all a dream.
1: Except it's a double fake where he dreams that he's holding the limp body in his arms and he does another, Oh,
0: and it's a real inception.
1: How, however, I got to say the delivery of, cause what he says when he wakes up the second time is God damn it. And it's a <laughs> really good delivery. That is a solid. God damn it. Uh, I was r- real impressed. And then he, he takes another nervous pill and Uh it's just like well looks like i'm doing it the
0: mark spitz way
1: and takes off his sweater vest and and dives into the water
0: well he strips down to his boxers and his like undershirt
1: yeah and he swims out to the plane and the console is all busted up and the Uh radio is all all jacked and so he is uh he is trapped good old-fashioned trapped on summer's isle what a dummy hey i wonder who did this maybe rowan's dad angry that i arrived oh
0: (laughs) then nicholas cage he goes back to the dock and i'm guessing he dressed himself and heads back into town and i was like did he put his clothes on over that wet underwear because when we see him in town it doesn't look like he pissed himself which that's what it would look like if you put normal clothes over wet underwear and an undershirt
1: Not a lot of people know this, but my pelvis runs at
0: a temperature of 163. (laughs) It dries pretty fast. If you wash your hands in a bathroom and hold it under my balls, your hands will be dry in less time than it would be if you used a paper towel. I gotta tell you, the
1: business is a 100 and change, but my hands are a cool 56, brother. (laughs) I give you the surf and turf of massages.
0: Nicholas Cage walks into town and he stops by this cottage. And the cottage is the home of Dr. T.H. Moss, physician slash photographer. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Moss is the local academic egghead and is played by Francis Conroy, who we last saw giving cat-like superpowers to Halle Berry and Catwoman, season five, episode five of Pick Six movies.
1: It's always nice to see her, but you know that she's only paying taxes on one of those businesses. That, that photography money is straight in the bank.
0: Cash only, dear. I strictly said cash only. <laughs>
1: I do tasteful nudes, dearie. <laughs> Cheap and discreet.
0: Dr. Voss says that she's the one who takes the harvest photographs each year, and Nicolas Cage wants to see your last year's photo. And Dr. Moss doesn't have last year's photo, but she can get one and she could like re, I don't know what, like reprint it and here some suspicion ensues. Right. And also uh, to
1: add to the suspicion is the giant ass book on the table called Rituals of the Ancients. Nicholas Cage is like about to thumb through it and she gets super protective in a way that's real suspicious. And he's just like, huh, she must be an avid reader. And then uh, she's like, hey, I got to go. Will you get out of here? And he's like, yeah, no problem. I'm definitely not going to be in the bushes right across the path.
0: And sure enough, he goes (laughs) to the bushes right across the path. And while he's hiding, he sees these two red hooded minions show up at Dr. Moss's house. And by minions, I mean two people dressed up like crimson minions from Despicable Me with large cyclops circle viewing ports And no other distinguishing facial features.
1: Yeah, I presume those are bee outfits, but at this point in the movie, we haven't, uh, aside from the bee in the meeting hall, or mating hall, uh, we haven't really seen any other bees.
0: Not so far, but we're going to over-index on that on the back end. (laughs) Sure. And so he immediately
1: jimmies the lock on her place as soon as these ladies take Dr. Moss off. And goes straight to the the book uh, "Rituals of the Ancients," where he reads about sacrifices for a fertility ritual. Uh huh. And then he goes deeper in the place where he finds fetuses and jars, and this seems to really take him by surprise. But I'm like, well, she is a doctor, you right. know? It's not the craziest thing I've ever seen. And but I think he's just like,
0: oh, gross.
1: Uh, more than it is like, you know, oh. Look, fetuses, how weird.
0: Do you remember in the high school where you and I attended that in the science center, there was like a center, there was a glass casing that was cylindrical in the middle of the pod that had like fetal pigs and frogs and other animals in it? Uh Uh-huh. You think there was a baby in there somewhere and we just didn't notice it? Uh, I'd like to
1: think so. Or, Or one of them like mermaid- Contraptions where people like right. take half a trout skeleton and a fetus.
0: Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. I wonder who put all that stuff in there.
1: You know what needs to greet these children every day? Mortality. <laughs> the the cold grip of death and the raw materials that we're all made up of.
0: <laughs> Back to our movie. Nicholas Cage is rummaging through everything in this office, and he eventually finds a photo of the Harvest Festival girls, and he comes across a photo of Rowan Woodard, his daughter and written on the photo is worst harvest on record (laughs) yeah yeah and so super sleuth is
1: like hey i wonder if they're gonna need a ritual sacrifice of some kind because of a bad harvest
0: why is this the worst harvest on record is it because of the bad honey or is it related to them not having enough babies or something else Uh, completely
1: uh, ill-defined here, Chad. Uh, sorry to disappoint you, uh, once more. Yeah, uh, who knows? Yeah, I mean, is it the honey? One would presume, but also, why is everybody just getting pregnant so important then? Is that the heart? I don't know. I don't know, Chad. I know. It's awful. And so he shows willow he takes the the picture of rowan back to willow and he's like i need you to explain what's happening in this picture i mean really i've been going over the plot in my mind and none of it makes sense and then she's like just kiss me you fool and then they make out a little bit
0: and that's kind of the end of the scene i don't understand anything about this movie
1: right i mean willow if if she is playing him for a fool as as they all would seem to be then her role is i'm gonna kind of make out with you a bunch and tell you that you've got this daughter which i mean I, i guess that part's true but then that's just how i get my jollies
0: i don't think she really has any feelings for him right I don't know. When they start making out, it was like watching robots kiss or like watching Muppets make out. Like everything in this movie, they're technically doing what constitutes the prescribed action, but they're just doing it all wrong. I want to suck your nostrils.
1: <laughs> and so after making out with Willow badly, he uh, he stops on his way. Um, to see Miss Summer's Isle, finally. To help some dude load some logs onto a cart. And, uh-huh. and then, because he fucks that up, the, the logs start to roll. And he right. he does like a hero, I'm going to grab, leap and grab this guy and knock him out of the way before the logs can uh, crush him.
0: Wouldn't that guy be his slave for life according to the rules taught to us by sitcoms in the 1980s
1: he would have to be his butler at the very least yes right um yeah but he's like hey sorry about that pal and the guy doesn't say anything he just he's you know mutely gets up and and wanders away and he's like well that's pretty weird and also rude and then he goes about his business Uh, Up to Miss Summer's Isle, where he sees some ladies tending beehives. When he realizes that he is among the bees, he runs into one, Mm accidental-like, and stirs up a bunch of bees, and then does what every expert tells you to do, which is to flail your arms, scream, and run wildly in any direction.
0: Correct. (laughs) It's... Pretty great. During his bee attack, he collapses and attempts to pull out one of his bee EpiPens to prevent him from dying. I guess he kind of does this, but not before having a vision of yet another blonde-haired little girl wearing a red sweater standing near a beehive surrounded by a swarm of bees. And then we get a reprieve of the black and white dream visions earlier of the car crash. Enough, enough. And then it's here that Nicholas Cage, he comes to and Dr. Moss is standing there and she says, we kept you alive by treating you with the old ways. And I'm thinking leeches, bloodletting. It's not lobotomy. Cause look, let's be honest. That normally cures what ails you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh boy. That was a great weekend. I had a lobotomy
0: and then I got it reversed. (laughs) Nicolas Cage says, I'm here to see Sister Summer's Isle. And Dr. Maw says, all right, whatever. And then we see Nicolas Cage and he stands up and he's in this like large log cabin wooden mansion. And as he gets up, he grabs for his gun and he's wearing his boxer shorts and a t-shirt. And he looks over and sees these two young women walk down the stairs all creepy like. And the two girls look back at him. And we'll touch on these girls later. And then Nicolas Cage, he gets dressed and he wanders out into the garden and Finally, we get to meet Sister Summer's Isle, played by Ellen Barkin. Excuse me, Ellen Burstyn, who was in The Exorcist, and she was in Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, and she was in The Last Picture Show. Yeah, she's
1: a a legitimate, real deal, good actress.
0: Right, and she's collecting a paycheck in this film.
1: Oh, I hope it bought her a boat. So she's like, so, Nicolas Cage, our friends the bees almost did you in. Pity, and he's like, "Are you saying pity? Like, you're? It's a pity that I didn't die from bee stings, or that I almost died from bee stings." And she's just like, mm, "Don't worry about it."
0: In the background, those two young women that we saw earlier—they're hanging around as Nicholas Cage is talking to Sister Summers Isle again. Two of her hangers-ons are. Right, her
1: drones, as she calls them later. Yeah, so uh, he's like, so can you explain the plot of this movie to me? (laughs) And she's like, well, here's the thing. You're on Summer's Isle. I'm the sort of the living uh, representative of the goddess mother, and you're here to investigate what you think is a murder. And he's like, right, right. Um, Has anyone murdered anyone here recently? And she's like, no, no one would murder anyone here on Summer's Isle. Come, let's take a walk. Then she goes into some shit about how their ancestors... Oh, Chad, this is the worst. Their ancestors uh, tried to repress the feminine. So they fled to the New World where they settled near Salem, Chad. Salem like the witch trials. I I got it. This movie can go right to hell. And then... She says, in the 1850s, my great-great-grandmother found this island, and and we settled here, and this is where we've been ever since. And Nicolas Cage gets into some like real men's rights shit here, where he's like, so men are second-class citizens here? And she's like, no, 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 not at all. They're important. We need them for breeding.
0: I like when Nicolas Cage gets all up in Sister Summer's Isles business, and he's like, look, I'm looking for my daughter, Randy. Wait. Regina, what is her name? Rowena. Rowena? Reno, hold on. When you take a boat out to sea, you use the sails. When you return, you row in. Rowan, I'm looking for my daughter, Rowan. Have you seen her anywhere? No. Nope. Yeah, she's like piss off. Yeah,
1: and my favorite question he asked her that was like, what happens when someone's born a boy here? And she's just like, mm, I'll never tell. Don't worry, movie. It'll never come up again.
0: <laughs> and it doesn't. No.
1: And, and, she, and immediately she's like, hey, does anyone have the toy equivalent of a car? And they're like, yeah, here's a bicycle. And she's like, right, that. The manservant brings fetches a bike for Nicolas Cage so he can go exhume the grave, presumably, of his child. Right. Uh, so he does. He just goes and digs it up and inside the... Co- at night? Yeah. Why Why do people always dig up graves at night? Look, digging graves is hard work. The sun's quite brutal during the summer months. However, by the light of the moon, I can see everything I need and it's a thousand percent creepier. <laughs> and so inside this this coffin is a burnt doll. Right. And he's like... I think someone's fucking with me. And then he hears a little kid like hee off in the distance uh-huh. and follows the sound of the child to the crypt, which is now conveniently unlocked.
0: Right. This is the one that's flooded with water. Right. That sh- and Nicholas Cage goes inside and down some narrow steps to this like flooded chamber, the
1: collective pisses and shits of Summers Isle. <laughs> beneath his feet and he's like
0: i've got to get in there but when he's down there he finds yet another red sweater the kind that i don't know any old blonde haired little girl would wear out and about town and specifically while wandering around a watery piss shit crypt
1: yeah yeah and this one though is for sure uh regina's because it has her initials and so he's like, Oh, she must be in here. And is like diving down into this flooded crypt or whatever looking for. Her. And then somebody closes the lid up top. Right. And so he's trapped now inside this, you know, flooded crypt with only a little bit of airspace. And yeah,
0: but you know, when he's swimming around in this piss shit water, he sees a statue of Jesus. Why are we bringing Jesus into this movie? Or just Christianity in general. Nobody in this movie ever talks about Jesus or Christianity. Jesus in this movie makes about as much sense as the Flintstones celebrating Christmas.
1: Oh, What if it had been a a bee statue?
0: That would make more sense. It
1: would make more sense. And it would also, I think, be a better statue to find there.
0: What if it was the honey bee from Cheerios? (laughs) What
1: if it was the Jerry Seinfeld bee?
0: What if it was the little girl from the Blind Melon video?
1: What if it was the bee who killed Macaulay Culkin in My Girl? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> we always found that movie saccharin. <laughs> they would love that movie on this island. <laughs> they would. Uh, they, finally, like, oh, a bee has its revenge. <laughs> Not since
0: Swarm have we been so happy. Nicolas Cage is down this watery tomb. And he's trapped there. And I was just wondering, is this part of the master plan of these weirdos to guide him to his untimely fate, trap him in this underwater chamber all night long so that he would hold himself up and have hallucinations of car crashes and boat deaths and Officer Not Jane Lynch wandering around with bees on her face? Yeah, she
1: explodes into bees in this vision he has just clinging to dear life. And yeah, thank goodness Willow shows up to let him out.
0: She's like, what the fuck are you doing in this toilet water? You got to get your ass out of here. Have you found our daughter yet? No, but you know I what? found her. Did you her... think she was down in this corpse swamp, you big dummy? I tell you. I found her sweater. And also this doll. Oh, Christ. I yeah, tell you what, Willow. You sure know how to pick them. Get out of the piss and shit water and go find our daughter.
1: Look. I need you to stay here. I have a call it a detective's hunch that something bad is going to happen.
0: I got a detective's hunch for you. You're going to find your ass in the hole in the ground, and you're not going to be able to tell the difference between the two of them, you shithead.
1: That's a riddle I'll puzzle over on my way to the emergency. See you later, Willow. <sighs> and then he goes back to Miss Summer's Isle's joint where he sees like a one eyed dude, like an extra from the overlook hotel in bed with boils all over him
0: and then yeah but this old guy when he's going door to door in sister summer isle's like wooden mansion cabin when he finds this old man covered in goiters and growths and whatever and he's got like one eye swollen Nicolas cage first off is unfazed by this as he just runs off to another door but i was just like This is the old man that's fucking all these young girls to get them pregnant? Is that what's going on here? That's right. Good for him. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, bad for those young girls, but good for him. It's a real Hugh Hefner
1: situation, yeah.
0: Because they have to let this pockmarked old dude do his business inside them to make babies. And I was kind of envious and nauseated at the same time.
1: Well, after he leaves our, you know, one-eyed stud... Uh, in the bedroom, he sees right. in another room, there's an, a cherubic naked lady covered in bees.
0: It's Sister Honey, the one from the apples earlier.
1: Oh, I didn't even get that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's totally naked and she is clearly beating the guinness book of world records for largest beard of living bees because it goes from her chin past her naked torso and breast across her midriff down to her vagina past her thighs and down to her feet that is gonna be a tough record to beat Bo.
1: challenge accepted
0: <laughs> he uh after he sees this
1: he he, he kind of fucks off and they cut to miss summer's isle in uh-huh. her big bee bed surrounded by attendants and she's just like is he gone and they're like yeah he he left and she's like excellent the game is afoot
0: yeah. it's a bunch of actresses that have no chance of making a career in acting
1: except for ellen burston who has already had a fun career in acting <laughs> no thanks to this movie certainly but
0: Nicolas Cage runs off through the woods as this movie really starts to wrap up. And as he's dashing through the woods, Sister Rose, the school teacher, she shows up and she's riding a bicycle and she's wearing an Eyes Wide Shut fuck mask. And she has this matching schoolmarm outfit. And the mismatch of this combo is kind of like wearing sexy lingerie and scuba gear at the same time. Go on. <laughs> Sister Rose says, we're all preparing for the celebration of death and rebirth. And Nicolas Cage says, she's just a child. I, You can't kill her. Get off the bike. Get off
1: the bike. And in the first moment where Nicolas Cage begins a run of assaulting women in this movie... Yep, He just pulls a gun on her. He's like, give me the bike! Step away from the bike! It's pretty solid. And then he <laughs> he steals her bike, like bike jacks her. Right. And runs into the twins, uh, the creepy old twins, who are like, it is he. And he's like, shut up, creepy twins. And then he speeds off, and Supercop still doesn't realize that all of this is about him yet. No. And I don't think that anyone else detective or otherwise could mistake the goings on at this point. After <laughs> it is he, it is he, then our <laughs> our Nicholas Cage detective character should be like, I wonder if this is somehow about me or maybe that
0: guy who thought he was he was Rowan's dad. It's that's probably the guy they're talking about. Poor fellow thought he had a daughter, but turns out I was the actual dad. I feel for that poor son of a bitch. <laughs> Nicholas Cage, he pedals onward and uh makes his way to the world-famous Summer's Isle Bed and Breakfast, and inside are all of the men of the village who have never said a word, and they are sitting as expected in stunned silence. And then Nicholas Cage He starts uh, going door to door looking for Rowan in the village and he goes to one house looking for her and he just barges into this home and tells the mom of the house, you have permission to stay out of my fucking way. Earning this movie, it's PG-13 rating.
1: Yeah, good for it. Well done. You you get one and you used it perfectly. So... He, uh, he searches, he says he's going to search the whole island for the next three hours while this ritual is going on until he finds Rowan, which if he believes they're going to sacrifice her, why not just immediately go to the ritual? Right. Anyway, uh, so a girl falls out of a wardrobe to fuck with him. Uh, another callback to the original film. All the little girls, uh, are running around masked. And running around all crazy like the ones who kind of look like Rowan because they all kind of look alike. Then Nicolas Cage finds the pilot with dead with his mouth sewn shut. Right. And looking all gross. And when he finds this, he looks up and some kids in masks dip below some bushes like, yoink. <laughs> like, uh-huh. it's very silly.
0: Yeah, it's like they finished a joke in Cornfield County.
1: Yes, it is hee-haw-esque. Uh, is a fantastic way to put it.
0: And so Beach
1: and another lady are in the meeting hall talking about Beach and wearing the bear costume. Right. And it's, how- it's Sister
0: Beach and Sister Oak. And Sister Oak right. is the old lady from the very beginning wearing the bloody butcher smock. Right
1: and she's like oh you, you know you have to let the bear costume out a little more every year
0: i like that even in a utopian 18th century themed colony in the pacific northwest some women just can't help but be catty bitches who cut each other down
1: right yeah how about you let beach be her best self and that does not include giving her shit about putting on a little weight for another year you know (laughs) she she's an older woman it's just what happens just calm down oh fucking sister oak either that or she's into her and this is her way of negging her
0: (laughs) nicholas cage comes in and sister oak she just leaves to go murder someone else i guess and nicholas cage approaches sister beach and just out of the blue he cold cocks her in the face
1: It's the one moment in this movie that comes so out of left field and is so shocking that it's kind of my favorite thing that happens in the whole movie.
0: You will sit dumbstruck to see Nicolas Cage just walk over and punch a woman as violently as he does in the face. Yeah. And she goes down like a sack of
1: potatoes. Sure. Like any man, woman, or child would that's a hell of a bunch. hell
2: of a
0: horse you hit somebody like that out of the blue there's only one place you're going and it's down
1: yeah it's incredible and
0: <laughs> then we find ellen
1: burston who's performing a ritual with her face painted half gold and half blue like uh, the classic star trek episode let that be your last battlefield uh that's for all my nerd friends out there then nicholas cage uh, gets attacked by Lily Sobieski back in the the um, mating house. Been the
0: bed and breakfast. Yeah.
1: We're cutting between that and then they're busting a mead barrel. And then this all culminates with another great moment of violence where Nicolas Cage just karate kicks Sister Honey right in the bread basket.
0: Yeah, it's brutal. He beats the shit out of two women and... In under 60 seconds of this film. Yeah, it's
1: it's something. And then the, a parade has begun outside. Nicolas Cage steals Sister Beach's bear outfit and is now joining in the parade.
0: Yeah, it's funny. This is the third movie this season that has featured a male actor wearing a costume that's covered in fur.
1: That's true. Boy, we are really living the good life. <laughs>
0: The parade outside is wandering through the fields and everyone's wearing animal masks. And it looks like a big conga line of Renaissance fair employees, just rife with body odor and unshaved legs. And then Nicolas Cage shows up in his bear costume and he goes up to Willow and Willow looks at him and she's like, what the fuck, Nicolas Cage? You dress like a goddamn bear. Look, we're on our way to the big festival. Do not embarrass me in front of my friends. I swear to God. Do not fuck this up, okay? It's once a year. I invited you here. Don't fuck it up. I thought I told you to wait for me. Why are you always undermining everything I say? Sometimes I do it for your own good. Yeah, you know what? I got to do everything you say. I got to do everything you say. You know what? Maybe you should listen to what I'm saying to you, you shithead. Not everything. How about we try one thing and see how that goes? (laughs) Once they arrive at this final destination... Nicolas Cage, again, wearing a bear costume, he sees our young Rowan who is tied to a tree and Sister Summer's announces that they are going to balance the forces of light and dark and Nicolas Cage rushes up to rescue his young daughter and on his way to the pole where Rowan is tied up, <laughs> Nicolas Cage punches out yeah. a third woman <laughs> in under about what four minutes of this movie yeah he he knocks three women
1: unconscious you don't even have to get it in minutes in the same act of a film
0: <laughs> that
1: is not set in a women's prison
0: nicholas cage cuts rowan free and the two of them escaping into the woods father and let's call her daughter they run across this log into the woods and then some masked colony weirdos give chase nicholas cage and rowan they hide in plain sight until rowan runs off and nicholas cage gives pursuit still wearing the bear costume yeah this is what happens in this movie nicholas cage is wearing a bear costume because bears like honey
1: what what i really like is when he gets all of it off but the feet And is running after in the forest with (laughs) just the bare feet on. Oh, that's pretty good. (laughs) And then his cell phone goes off and it's like, oh, Pete, Pete, my mustache friend from California where I should be. (laughs) Who? Who the hell's Pete? And he tries to ask him for help, but of course the uh, why
0: does this phone call happen bo why when it happens you think oh pete's gonna hear a cry for help this other remote cop is gonna show up to save the day or show up to be it doesn't happen at all he just gets a phone call and nothing comes of nothing
2: yeah
1: it's pointless it it is yes you're right it's completely pointless the only thing i can think is that it's somehow slowing him down and because this is the point where rowan kind of gets ahead of him where he's like slow down sweetie you know a mass of people are trying to kill you so just if you could just pay your pace yourself a little then uh (laughs) rowan leads him back to Willow and all the locals and this is where they reveal their secret plot which uh-huh. is they needed a stranger that was connected by blood right and had come there of his own free will and they basically explain here is how the plot of this movie works
0: you have to keep your appointment with the wicker man and everyone in the audience is like the what what the hell's a wicker man oh yeah that's the name of this movie it's never right. been mentioned once.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, uh, you know, like, I I, I hate to keep just pointing to the original, but one of the things that's so cool about the original is that everyone's like, you need to get out of here, you should leave. You know, like, they're constantly telling Edward Woodward, like, you should leave uh, as soon as possible. You don't want to be here for this festival. And it's all a game, you know? Like, they are they know he can't go, but the fun is telling him, like, you need to go. And that's never what happens in this movie. It doesn't seem like any of this is fun for anybody. And that's kind of what I like about the original Wicker Man is when they're, by the end of the movie, when they're, like, doing a Yahoo, Yare, like, uh, the fucking Who's. Around the Christmas tree at the end of of the Grinch. Except they're yeah. around a burning Englishman. Like, yeah. that stuff is awesome. And this movie, again, can't even get that right. You, you can still do all your B shit, but just do the end of that movie. That's all you gotta do. And it's still pretty cool. And, ugh, and they fuck it up. Anyway, so they explain all the business with, like, this is why we need you for a sacrifice.
0: But Willow says... She's like, everything was orchestrated with care. And Sister Isle says, your fate was sealed many years ago when my daughter, Willow, chose to be with you. This is a story whose chapters were carefully written. And Nicolas Cage, he has a gun. And upon initial viewing, I'm thinking, this guy needs to start popping skulls (laughs) left and right to just kind of wrap this up. Which... In his defense, he does, but it turns out that Willow took all of his bullets. Right. Uh-oh. And then this crowd of weirdos, they just close in on Nicolas Cage, and he just starts doing more of his signature Johnny Roundhouse boot heel face plants, but the crowd overpowers him, and they proceed to start breaking his legs, and off screen, we hear Nicolas Cage just yelling in pain. Yes, and in the director's
1: cut, this is much more graphic. It's more of a misery, kind of hobbling sort of thing. Because in in this version, the theatrical version, you just hear the crack of the legs. You don't really get the visual so much. The director's cut is strangely better in that regard. That it feels like, oh my god, they're really, you know, kind of fucking this guy up. And... Then he's led up to the Wicker Man, which is a big wooden statue, sort of a... a
0: I think Burning Man, but, you know, Burning Man.
1: Here's my stupid brain. uh, It's sort of Trojan horse-ish in that it is hollow inside, so that's why they've kind of got Nicolas Cage uh, crammed up in there. They uh, lift him up to the head, and Rowan is given a torch to uh, light the wicker man on fire, which he does. And he's like, don't do it, honey, don't do it. And then they all chant, uh, the drone must die. And they watch him burn.
0: Yeah, I was embarrassed by all the actresses chanting in the finale of this film.
1: Yeah, and so it's worth pointing out here that this is where the bees thing comes from. Because in the director's cut of the movie, after they hobble him, they also... Put this helmet of bees on him, which is the classic, you know, not the bees, not the bees. And after they do that, then they put him in the wicker man, presumably because he's all jacked up and, and sedated by the bee stings or whatever. I don't know. I don't know why they do it. It's I. It's bizarre. All of this doesn't make no sense. Then we get a, a title because the movie ain't over yet.
0: Nicholas Cage gets burned up alive in this big wicker woven figure to ensure that they have a healthy harvest the next year right of something
1: right and the original again has the good sense to end the movie right there of just like hey we're done the story's over like this is what you came to see everybody have a good night
0: no but how could this movie fuck it up even more
1: (laughs) right let's have a little epilogue six months later with james franco hanging out in a bar and he and his. how shocked
0: were you to see james franco at the end of this movie
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's out of nowhere. It, less, I was less shocked by Aaron Eckhart because I knew he'd been in Labute's first movie. But uh-huh. James Franco was a real, like, ho 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 And he's just hanging out in a bar with his buddy, and they see Willow and the sister Honey.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And there's the sound of bees buzzing, and l- the... Uh, Sister Honey asked James Franco, like, hey, are you going to leave? Where are you going to go when you leave? And he's like, oh, probably back to my place. And she's like, are you going to go alone? Do you want to do some fucking? And he's like, all right. So the cycle begins anew, I guess. He's now cursed with the summer's Isle. You're going to knock me up. And then a few years later, I'm going to come get you to set you on fire.
0: And he also just graduated the police academy
1: that right right because that's a, I, again that should be a little more explicit i think in the in this because that
0: doesn't matter at all that he's a cop no and it and was then, it was a
1: big deal in like uh, again in the original like that's one of the is he's a representative of the king yeah uh, not in this movie It doesn't matter. right it just doesn't it just doesn't matter and then you cut to black and see it you know for joe uh for johnny ramon and you're like, yeah, it was
0: dedicated to him.
1: What the hell is that about? Uh, which it turns out that just Nicholas cage was friends with
0: Johnny Ramone, but
1: it's still like, I don't know what the, 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 did the Ramones have a song in this movie?
0: Um, no, yeah, it's, it's, it's just awful
1: the end that's it and I, I will say this in the director's cut of the movie there is no james franco scene what yeah they they leave that out in the director's cut there's the addition of the b it's one of the rare director's cuts that's actually a little bit shorter than the theatrical cut because they include the b scene but they leave out the the scene with james franco and and willow and sister honey
0: all right well that's the wicker man it is it's it it's terrible would you recommend anybody ever watch this
1: it's kind of one of those movies that you hear is is terrible and you almost need to see it for yourself to appreciate truly how terrible it is it's not good i mean don't watch it expecting to be entertained by a movie for the right reasons but i find it very entertaining because it's so bad it's so like not even bonkers. It's not even that's crazy. Although when Nicholas Cage just starts decking women at the end of this movie, it is genuinely absurd.
0: Yeah, it's shocking. I would recommend watching the original if you've never seen it. But buckle up because the amount of graveyard sex and just like full frontal nudity is surprising.
1: It's fucking rocking.
0: It, it is. It's pretty bonkers. So. Yeah, there's the wicker man. So if I had to recommend, if you had to watch one of the other one, I would recommend watch this one and not that
1: one. Yeah, yeah, the original wicker man legitimately a classic film. This movie is a one of those movies like I said, it, it's it there's a little bit of uh you almost have to see it to to really appreciate just how rotten it is, but no, it's right. it's a bad 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 movie.
0: Speaking of bad, bad movies. Oh,
1: our finale is coming up.
0: For our season finale, we are bringing back one of our most popular actors um, ever featured on Pick Six Movies. Uh, I like the sound of this, bro. Jason Moma, who had previously played Aquaman, or as we affectionately refer to him as Aquabro. What up? (laughs) Jason Moma is coming back. As we're going to be discussing Conan the Robarian from 2011. And I truly believe this may be the most fun we have with a movie this entire season.
1: Hey, you know what the secret of steel is, brother? I call it the secret of aluminum. It's
0: crushing one of them
1: cans of CL right against your forehead. Gets you some attention at the parties. It's better than playing a guitar, man. I'll tell you what.
0: Oh, man, I can't wait. Some Skinner.
1: Hey, just tell me right now. When I whip out that sword, you got to tell me some freebird is playing. <laughs> that is going to rock.
0: So come back next week. We will be dealing with a genre that I absolutely detest. Fantasy with one of the actors that we have had the most fun with over the last few seasons. I think it's going to be great. Bo, any final thoughts on uh, The Wicker Man?
1: Now watch the uh, the original and I can't wait to dive in to Conan the Barbarian.
0: It's going to be great. Come back in one week and we will do it all again.